When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Wealth Track, Christy Mitchum, CEO of Wells Fargo Asset Management, has the research on the strong connection between control of your finances and happiness. That is next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences. Rosalind P. Walter and the Fairholme Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. What makes you happy? That is not a question we usually ask ourselves on a personal finance slash investment program like WealthTrack, publicly at least. Privately is another matter. But the question is not far-fetched for us. A primary motivation behind WealthTrack's mission of helping our audience and ourselves build financial security to last a lifetime is achieving happiness. We recognize that financial well-being makes achieving life's goals much easier and is a major anxiety reducer. That's why I was intrigued when I heard that Christy Mitchum, a high-ranking woman in the financial services industry, whom I know and respect, had commissioned a survey about what makes millennials happy. A reminder, millennials are the generation born between 1980 and 1997. These 20- to 36-year-olds are close to 80 million strong. They make up nearly a quarter of the population. That's larger than the baby boomers but they are weighed down with debt. Millennials are carrying 80% of the $1.3 trillion student loan burden. But why should we care about their happiness? What relevance does it have for the rest of us? Well, it turns out it does, which is why this week's guest is Christy Mitchum, the new CEO of Wells Fargo Asset Management, which she joined in June of 2016, and where she oversees nearly $500 billion of assets. Until then, Mitchum headed up State Street Global Advisors, America's institutional client group. Before that, she was in charge of the U.S. defined contribution business, think 401k retirement plans, for BlackRock and Barclays Global Investors clients. Throughout her career, she has been a passionate advocate for sponsoring and promoting women in management. Mitchum was a driving force behind the 2016 creation of the SSGA Gender Diversity Index and its spider ETF, the symbol is she. It's comprised of U.S.-based large-cap companies that are gender diverse in their senior leadership positions. Now, before we talked about the connections between financial planning and happiness for millennials and the rest of us, I had to ask her about the Wells Fargo banking scandal. Just weeks after her arrival, news broke that ultimately more than 2 million fake customer accounts had been created by some employees at the Wells Fargo Community Banking Division. Yeah, well, I mean, it was obviously surprising and and unexpected. And, uh, you know, I think the 
biggest uh, sort of impactful thing for me is just how far Wells Fargo has gone in addressing the issues that surfaced as part of the community bank. You know, never has a bank been so aggressive at clawing back executive compensation, at making changes at the board level, at making drastic changes to the compensation um, and remuneration goals in the community bank. So they took it so seriously. So when I reflect back on it, you know, I think it's very natural to ask, you know, did I make the right choice? And for me, the answer is, you know, absolutely yes. You know, I joined Wells Fargo because I sensed in the leadership and really just in the corporate culture itself, this real desire to make a difference for the end investor. And that's what I've spent most of my life trying to do, to make a difference in retirement outcomes for normal, ordinary people saving in 401ks. And I would say today I'm probably more excited about being at Wells Fargo than I was when I started. And I think that's really a testament to Tim Sloan and his really fantastic leadership through this time of, of real difficulty for the company. And you are more excited now than when you first joined because? I am, because you know how when you, you join, the world is, is sort of full of possibilities. And as you dig into them, um, some of them become reality. And so many of the most ex things that I was really most excited about doing, I've been able to put into action. And again, you know, I know today we're gonna talk a little bit about millennials and, and research on millennial happiness. And this was something that I really wanted to sort of bring to fore. I really wanted to understand this connection between financial well-being and happiness. And I've had the opportunity to explore that at Wells Fargo. And I think that really, again, speaks to who the company is. Let's talk about that millennial study, which yes. I'm really fascinated yes. by. So first of all, why millennials? And then second of all, what makes them happy? Who cares? Why is that important? <laughs> yes. Well, I think the first and most important reason is they're a really big generation. Um, so, you know, it's over 75 million Americans fall into the millennial population. And just maybe to level set you there, that's people who are sort of 20 through 36, 37 today. And uh, they're going to make up 75% of the productive workforce by 2025. And probably even more importantly, for a show like WealthTrack, they're going to inherit between 20 and $30 trillion of wealth over the next 20 to 30 years. So it's really important that we understand them because the way that they think, the way that they save, the way that they invest will inhabit, will, will change the world that we all inhabit right. and certainly have an impact uh, on, on the economy more broadly. So you're thinking, you are thinking long term about them because they don't have the money yet. And in fact, they've Absolutely. got a ton of debt. They've got 80% of the student loan debt is carried by millennials. They do. And in fact, that was really one of the things that really drove me to ask you know, some of this research and to frame it around happiness. I really wanted to understand two things in particular. I wanted to understand how a generation you know, coming into adulthood with a lot of debt would, would feel about it, right. right? You know, would they be able to achieve, you know, happiness and meaningfulness in their lives carrying this significant burden? And I was also interested in knowing how happy this generation would be sort of coming of age in the financial crisis. And so the good news is millennials are really happy. In fact, you know, uh, about 62 to 64% of millennials say they're very happy and they find meaningfulness in their lives. And I think that's an exciting that's statistic. Extraordinary. Right? It's, it's just right. really neat. But what we also found is that they have a lot of financial anxiety. So again, getting back to this debt, 46% of all the millennials we surveyed indicated that they felt overburdened 
by student loan debt. I bet. Mm -hmm. You know, 42% said they had to rely on others for financial help. Right. 43% uh, said at times they were unable to pay medical bills. So, you know, this is clearly a generation that has a lot of anxiety and, and a lot of, of burden as mm -hmm. it relates to their finances. Well, let me go, go back to the happiness quotient. Though, yeah, because, sure. because, you know, here you are, you know, a top executive in a major financial yes, services firm. Yes. And, you're, and you said in, in introducing this this study uh, that that you've been thinking a lot about happiness and and what you know why I mean what it, it just it's it's such a kind of a soft concept it doesn't seem like it would have really any relationship to finances and to business but yeah so you know I'm sure you're aware there's all this new research out about happiness and meaningfulness yeah, tons, right? right you know so it impacts your productivity it impacts the quality of, of your work I mean there, there's lots of of I guess selfish reasons that I might want to have a really productive happy <laughs> workforce um, and want to have a protective happy people pool of people to choose from but for me it's something more personal you know I mean I think that throughout my life I felt that I needed to find a calling for, for what I was doing that was sort of bigger than my everyday job. And as you know, we spent much of our early dialogue on things like retirement security and how we could allow people to live in retirement with dignity. And so I think the next phase for me is, is how I can really help this population that again, I think is coming into adulthood with a lot of challenges and ensure that I help them work through some of these financial issues so they can truly be happy. And, and that is motivating to me personally. So some of the key findings, Christy, yeah. and, and you, you just mentioned some of them, but um, so how important is financial well-being to happiness? Well, I think a millennial would tell you they're not very important at all. So if we ask millennials, you know, what really contributes to your happiness, they would tell you it's love, it's relationships, it's doing good in the world. But I think, unfortunately, when we dig a little bit deeper, we actually do find there is a connection between engagement and understanding of finance and overall happiness. And in fact, it was one of the things that came out of the survey that I was most excited about, because I think it was a connection that maybe, you know, millennials currently don't see today and that we can help elucidate for them and, and actually you know, bring greater happiness and meaningfulness to their lives. So you, you have this neat, these neat indicators. I do, um, yes, I'm dying to talk about it. Yes. the screen. Yes. Um, and they're called Positive Financial Indicators, PFI. And, and this is the list of, of questions that, you, that you've asked. But um, if, if they answer yes to these, mm -hmm. their people are happier. And these, these are five indicators. So I pay monthly expenses, I save for future needs, I am saving for retirement. I set and achieve my financial goals. I feel in control of my financial life. So if you, your finding was that if you can say yes to all of those five indicators, that you're happier. Is that right? That's right. In fact, about 36% of all of our respondents in the survey answered affirmatively to all of those five questions. And when they do, we see a jump shift in their happiness. They are, are there much, much likely, much more likely to be in that top box happy. But not only that, they're more comfortable with investments and finance. They're more comfortable investing in the stock market. They're more comfortable taking control of their investment portfolio. So all of these really neat things. And since I know it's an issue that you and I both care a lot as well about as well, what's also interesting is in our normal findings, we find a, a pretty significant gap in wages between men and women. Mm -hmm. For those in the PFI, the gap in income closes. How interesting! Yes, so income really closes. So income. professionally, so men being and women in charge of your yeah, I think your finances that, makes yeah. you more successful, or I, is it? Who knows? Is it yeah, you, you know, you really can't say exactly. Yeah. But I think one of the things that it really hints at to me is that when women get engaged and take control of their financial lives, they're able to better advocate and negotiate for themselves in the workforce. 
And isn't that exciting? That's very exciting. Really exciting. Now, the other finding that, that you told me about earlier was that, uh, that women, even millennial women, many of them are ceding their financial decisions to the men in their lives. Yeah, so a couple of really concerning things as it relates to your right. millennial. If you have a millennial daughter or a millennial granddaughter or a millennial niece, this is something you need to pay attention to. So first, we found a big gap in literacy between men and women millennials. Right. So about 32% of men were able to answer two out of three financial literacy questions correct, only 20% of millennial women. In addition to that, we found that a large portion of millennial women, as you mentioned, are seeding controls. So they're right. actually self-identifying as not being the primary decision maker in their financial lives. And very distressing. Very I mean, distressing. I, I figured that very would distressing. be maybe my generation, definitely my mother's generation, but this yeah. generation, it's crazy. And I think the really, yeah. you know, the really important connection, though, is that we also see this difference between happiness for millennial men and women. And I just can't help but think that you know, some of that may be connected to the fact that they're you know, ceding control over something that's so seminal and so important in their lives. So there's a difference in happiness yeah, among millennials ten, between men yeah, and women. About a 10 percentage point difference. Right, except again, when, when they can- But not when they're PFI women. Right, right. Yeah. I love the <laughs> PFI women. Yes. Um, so the, the boomers. You've also done the, the positive financial indicators survey among boomers, and we what did. did you find? Something very similar, mm -hmm. um, which was really kind of neat because I think it really uh, underscores that you know what really matters is engaging with your money, right? Right. And it matters for boomers, it matters for millennials, it matters for affluent people, it matters for people who you know aren't necessarily mm -hmm. affluent and don't have a lot of money um, to to play with. Um, but but again, you know, we found that uh, boomers, when they score positively, you know, when they they are in this PFI group, they're happier. They're more comfortable with their investments. They're more comfortable with the statement that they know everything they need to know to be successful financially. And these are really simple steps. And right. I think it just comes back to, and, and makes me think about so much of the early work that I did on 401ks, which is, you know, the, the simple things, the easy things, just getting started and getting engaged with your money. That's what's really important. What are you doing at Wells Fargo Asset Management to draw in millennials and especially so, women? Yeah, so I think one of the really interesting sort of hooks that we have for engagement is this notion of sort of value-based investing, you know, often talked about as ESG, environmental, mm -hmm. social, and corporate governance. And when we did this survey on millennials, another really interesting finding for me was just how many millennials really care about alignment between their values and their investments. And it's not that they want to give up return. Right? It's not that mm -hmm. they want to invest in social good over financial return, but they want to find that you know, overlap in the Venn diagram between what they care about and what does good in the world and what makes money. And, so and, and they feel that, that that's doable. Or well, we know it's doable. You know it's doable. We know it's doable. Right. Um, you know, and I think you know, we talked a little bit uh, you know, about some of the things that I've been involved in on this front, like She, right. um, which is an index fund, an ETF uh, that invests in companies that have larger percentages of women in management. In and management. That's, right. that's a value I believe in. But guess what? It also has you know, a positive financial impact as well. So right. those companies tend to do better. They tend to have you know, better earnings growth, better margin growth, better stock performance. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You know, find that win-win. Find that place where your values and your money can coexist and benefit from each other mutually. And that's the hook for millennials. I, I, I absolutely believe um, that we can do a ton more in this space, and it's a real area of concentration for us at Wells Fargo Asset Management. Right. And again, the women, the, the things that are similar to between women of all ages and millennials 
is that desire to have an impact with their money and to be, you know, it's kind of values-based investing, right? Yeah. So this is this is what millennials share and with, with women of all ages, <laughs> That's right. correct? Yeah. yeah, we actually found this in the, the, the boomer and women boomers right. in particular. And, you know, it's such an interesting point because obviously, you know, one of the things that advisors always find difficult is when there is sort of, you know, a change in spousal um, control, right? So when they've been the advisor to the man in the household and the man dies or, or is incapacitated right. well, well, and the woman so steps up. 70 percent, uh, my understanding is 70 percent of women Whose uh, whose husband die? Yep. Uh, basically, that they they leave their husband's financial advisor. Yeah, and and I think that this study really points to maybe one potential reason why. Right. Is they're looking for something a little different, right? And so I think this is a real call to action. And and if you think about it societally, also it's just so important. If we can actually begin to really funnel capital to companies and ideas that actually make the world a better place and create you know financial growth and well-being, um, well that's that's good for everybody. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's what women and millennials are asking for. You know, one of the things that, that you had told me earlier was that, uh, that millennials and women as well are too embarrassed to ask for financial help. Yeah. So why is that such a big problem? And again, you know, what are you trying to do to overcome that at, at Wells Fargo Asset Management? Yeah, so um, we actually, you know, asked some questions around uh, use of advice uh, in the survey. We asked it to both boomers and millennials. Right. So about 30% of boomers uh, have financial advisors, about 23% of millennials. What's really interesting, though, is if we look at this millennial population in particular, about 40% of them would like to have financial advice. 69% of them, I think, as I mentioned earlier, really want to find a way to push through their financial anxiety. Mm -hmm. So this is a population that wants help, and yet they're not going out and getting it. Right. And I think the reason for that is that, you know, financial matters are pretty daunting. You know, remember that this is a population that, you know, only like 39% of them could tell you how the stock market functions or what the purpose of the stock market is for. So they don't have a lot of literacy, and I think for that reason, um, it may be something they shy away from. And I guess there's sort of two answers that I'm thinking about. I, I, I want to meet them as who they are, right? So as I talked to you a little bit about values, right. you know, I want to use that as a hook or a way in, right? I want to recognize that that's important to them. But I also want to meet them where they are. And I think we have to recognize that this is a population that um, likes two things. They like human connection, but they also like digital, technological, Absolutely. you know, right. get it when I want it. Um, and so at Wells Fargo, we're thinking a lot about this combination of man and machine. You know, how do we create an automated investing tool that allows millennials um, to get the information that they want when they want it, to interact in a really strong, digital, easy way, but also give them the ability to call in and talk to an individual when they feel it's warranted. And I think if we can do that, I think if we can make it easy for them, we can give it to them in a way that they're comfortable with. And again, we can craft some of the messaging to really hook them in around the things that they care about. Um, I, I think that's a recipe to, to greater success. So l let me ask you about um, it, about the fact that you've been a huge advocate for empowering women financially and professionally. It's really been a driving passion in your in your life. Yeah, and where does that come from? So, well, I think it's it's you know a professional thing. I think you know obviously a woman who is in the financial service industry and sort of understands you know the challenges that women face. I think just very naturally you want to make it a better place. You want to leave it a better place for those that are coming behind you. Um, but it's also a real personal connection uh, mm -hmm. for me. So I actually have three little girls at home. Um, so I think a lot about it, you know, just for women in general, but I also really think a lot about making a world that they can be more successful in. Mm -hmm. and, and I spend a lot of my time really focused on that.
How are you reaching women of all ages, not just millennials? How yes. do you get us in? Yeah, you know, so I don't, again, I don't think there's a single, I don't think there's a single silver bullet in terms of getting women, uh, you know, interested in their investment investments. Right. I, I think we do have to talk about education a little bit, though, right? We do have to talk about the fact that in financial literacy, there's about a 12 percentage gap between women and men. And so I think, it, you know, I think we all have a collective responsibility to talk to our girls about money. I don't think the answer um, of how do we get women in really sits you know, with people once they've sort of matriculated into adulthood. I think we need to start really early on. We need to have conversation with our girls about money and investing. And so, like I said, you know, one of the to-dos that I would love for people to take away from this show is to sit down with their millennial with the PFI. Right. Um, but I also think you should be sitting down with your seven-year-old, your eight-year-old, your nine-year-old girl talking to her about money and investing. You know, making her understand that this is a realm that she can participate in. This is a realm that she can be successful in. And I think that is really an important part of the answer. So your girls are not rolling their eyes when you have these conversations with them? Oh, of mom. Of course they are. Of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. But I'm a good teenage mom. I just go right back at it. <laughs> I'm Relentless. Sure you do. Relentless. Exactly. They have no choice. Why are there so few women uh, in top positions in the financial services industry. Yeah, so named portfolios, managers, um, according right. to Morningstar, at about 9%, research analysts at about 11%. I mean, it's it's undeniably um, a fact that women are underrepresented in the investment management industry right. and, and in the financial industry more broadly. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think, I mean, these are always really complicated sort of questions, and they probably don't have one single cause. Um, but there are two things that I think about a lot, um, and I call them sort of the pool and the matching problem. And the pool problem is that we just don't have enough women in STEM sciences. Um, women are dramatically underrepresented in what they call science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or right. STEM. Um, so that's part of it. We need to get more women more comfortable with their skills in those areas um, you know, in order to have a bigger pool to choose from. But I think the, the other problem that we have is that you know, women often can't see themselves being successful in financial services companies because they can't find a role model that they really relate to. And you think that's important? Oh, I think it's really important. Yeah. I mean, how can you possibly believe that you're going to have success if you can't see anyone that looks or feels like you at the right. senior ranks of the organizations that you're working for? So we've been spending a lot of time um, at Wells Fargo Asset Management really thinking about you know, how we can magnify the presence of our women PMs and our women analysts you know, out in the press and on TV um, to give younger women a sense that they can truly be successful in this industry. And by the way, I think it's a great industry for women. Uh, I think investment management is just a tremendously um, you know, great uh, industry for women. You know, no, it is because women want to help. They want to have an impact. And it's also very transparent. You put yeah. your numbers up every day. Yes. Um, so I think getting more women into this industry is something that we should all work hard towards. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here talking to you. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I want to recruit more women to join us. I mean, you're a role model. Who, who was a role model for you? I mean, was there anyone that anyone steps that you're following in or? Gosh, you know, I was really lucky. I, I worked for a lot of fantastic um, women. But, you know, probably the one that sticks out the most um, was when I was working at Goldman Sachs. I actually worked for Amy Goodfriend. Mm -hmm. And she hired all these amazing women. But, you know, she was so seminal in driving the careers of so many women. And so many women who worked for her were, you know, went on to be incredibly successful. Um, and I think it's just a neat, uh, you know, way to show that, you know, 
one person could make a big difference in the lives of lots of women. And you know, I hope that I, and aspire to touch as many lives as she did. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what should we all own some of? So one of the places that I think is, is a really interesting place to go today um, is the closed-end fund market. So, uh, huh. yeah, so, you know, in a market that's as toppy as the one that we're in today, I'm always looking for a way to actually get structural alpha. Um, and what I mean by that is, is there a way for me to actually pick up stocks that are trading in the marketplace at a discount to where they're currently priced? And closed-in funds trading in the secondary market are a great way to do that. They're bond funds, they're equity funds. I think you want to find the ones that actually fit with your particular risk tolerance. Remember that they often carry a little bit of leverage, so you really want to pair that investment with a little bit of cash. Mm -hmm. um, but it really is a great way to pick up a, a really, you know, if you're in the fixed-income markets, you can substantively add to your yield picture by buying those securities at a discount. So that's definitely something that I would suggest talking that's to your financial so advisor interesting. about. I mean, that, you know, closing funds are something that are, are rarely mentioned on Wealth Tracker by anyone yeah. else. That's a really interesting idea. But they all, they usually do trade at a discount. So the, they do. So the issue is, are they, are they going to continue to trade at a discount? Because they're they're often well, overlooked. They're not as popular as open. Well, listen, I mean, I think it's really important yeah. that they're an investment that's a buy and hold investment. So you asked me for right. a long-term portfolio. This isn't something yes. I would look to trade. Um, but it is, I think, something that you can carry in the portfolio for, for the long term. And you're not so concerned with the daily valuations in the NAV, because what you're really looking for is that income and that coupon. Right. You know, that search. Uh, for income is something that, that people today are, are really focused on, and, and I think they should be. Christy Mitchum, really a treat to have you on Wealth Track. Well, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point follows up on one of Mitchum's recommendations. Talk to everyone you care about, no matter what age or stage, about achieving those positive financial indicators. Having enough money to save for future needs. Saving enough for retirement. Feeling in control of your financial life. Taking an active role in setting and achieving goals for your financial life. Able to pay monthly expenses. If you can say yes to all five, you are on your way to being a happier person. And that is a worthwhile goal. If you go to our website, we will share some of the research we discussed today. Plus, in our extra feature, Mitchum will talk about an organization of other high-level women she is involved in called Paradigm for Parity, which she believes will be effective in advancing women in corporate America. Don't hesitate to share your views on this topic and others on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.